Today is December 28th, and I'm going to be joined by the great Kevin Farahar of FriarBasketball.com. I am Billy Ritchie, and this is the Friar Podcast. Hello and welcome, everybody, back to episode 17 of the Friar Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Billy Ritchie, joined by the great Kevin Farahar of FriarBasketball.com. And today, we're here to just talk some Friars. What a start it's been to this season for the 2021-2022 Providence Friars. We're just entering Big East play, and Kevin and I have a lot to talk about when it comes to this team. Kevin, what's going on, my man? Well, I'm ready. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. And, you know, it's it's obviously been some some different times in the past couple of years when it's come to COVID and, and, and college athletics. Same same college athletics, professional sports. A lot of things have been influenced by the pandemic. And one of the first things that we wanted to touch upon on the show is just how Ed Cooley has been able to keep his culture and the way he does things intact through the pandemic. Obviously, last year had its ups and downs, but as Kevin and I talked about, it was a very weird year overall in college basketball for a lot of teams. And we immediately thought back to the end of the 2020 run in which we had beat five ranked opponents in a month's time. And the current state of this team right now, I mean, this team is red hot number 21 in the country. We're recording on the eve of the Seton hall game tomorrow night at the dunk. And, you know, Kev, like, what can we say about what Ed has done with this team and, and righted the ship during the pandemic? Yeah, it's pretty outstanding. You know, he um, last year almost feels like a uh, not a forgotten year, but almost like a, a blip. You know, I, I think there were there were a lot of questions. And to be honest, I had some I kind of touched on it. I wrote an article probably a week and a half ago about the great job he did kind of getting them off to a fast start this year. And I had some questions, you know, just because. It felt like for the first time last year, we saw Ed Cooley really frustrated. You know, we saw two different games where he left the court before the final buzzer even went off. And I remember seeing an interview with him, him where he had said before the season or yeah, before last season that, you know, during COVID, he really enjoyed spending time with his family and he realized how much family time he missed. And, you know, you never really doubted Cooley's commitment or his fire, but that was the first time we heard him talking about how it was nice doing something other than coaching. And it seemed like last year was a really frustrating year for him. So I came into this year being like, what's this year going to look like? And, and from the start, I just feel like they've gotten total buy-in this year. It's been really, really awesome to see. Yeah, I think buy-in is the perfect term. It's like last year's team, their body language on the court almost sometimes was like, it just wasn't there, whether on offense or defense. And I think a large part of it was the balance to the team and, and and specifically balance on offense. Obviously we had David Duke, who was a star player doing great in the NBA right now. So excited for him had the double double in one of his recent starts um, really wish him the best on his professional career. And it seems like he's found a great place with the Brooklyn Nets, but in terms of the balance, I think one of the keys to success in Ed Cooley's teams is a balanced offense. Kev would love to hear what you think about like how this team has been so balanced offensively through their starts of the season. Yeah, it's been interesting. It kind of reminds me of those Kyron Cartwright, Rodney Bullock, Jalen Lindsay, Alpha DL years where they really were distributing the possessions kind of more evenly among 
guys in the team. You know, we had that stretch where Chris Dunn was here, where they were really heavily, you know, everything kind of went through LeDante and Chris, then Chris and Ben. And this feels kind of like, it's actually the most balanced team they've had pretty much since Cooley's first year. Um, in Cooley's first year, they were kind of forced to be balanced because they really had no depth at all. So if you look at the numbers, you know, I, I write a lot about some numbers I get off of synergy and possession. So if we're talking about possessions per game, you know, possession being a field goal attempt, a free throw attempt, or a turnover, they actually have four guys who are averaging over 10 possessions a game, which they haven't had since Cooley's first year here, like I said. And that was really – those numbers are skewed because they basically had no bench back then. They didn't really have options. So what's interesting is, you know, the highest possessions per game right now is Al Durham with 15. And usually PC has guys who are up around like 19, 20 possessions per game leading the team. So that's a big difference. And I think it kind of bears, you can see it, you know, in the game, but it definitely bears out the numbers too. You, you see that there are, you know, those four guys getting 10 possessions a game, you know, Al Durham, Nate Watson, AJ Reeves, Noah Horkler, and then Jared Bynum's at like eight possessions a game. And his number is a little bit skewed because, um, you know, he had an injury against St. Peter's and missed most of that game. So it's definitely much more balanced this year than it's been. And I think it's been really beneficial for him. hundred percent. And I think about first in terms of team success, like think of the USC teams we played in the NCAA tournament, like their highest scores were like, you know, 12, 10 points a game, but still getting a guy like Benny Boatwright to the league. When I think about somebody like a Dante DiVincenzo, like coming off the bench and also making it to the league and, and, and a very balanced Villanova attack as well. Like those are the types of things I think about when I think of long-term success. And and it just gets me excited every time I think about this team that like somebody else is going to probably step up tonight. So, somebody's probably going to like be your leading scorer that wasn't the leading scorer from the past three or four games. Somebody's going to step up when it comes to rebounds or assists or, or blocks or, or, or something. Like I love seeing somebody... In, in a different spot in the stat line each game that goes by. So I also think another thing which we talked about is LaDante. Like LaDante Henton coming back to the program is amazing on so many fronts. Obviously from an optics thing that he was a former player, he was super successful and he was just a fan favorite. He just seems like a great kid. Um, but him coming back and like talking about his experience and providing that sort of niche, you know, former player to player relationship, something we had with Sham God. I think that was amazing. Like guys working out in the off season with Sham God, really trusting him, really getting to know him. I see those same things with LaDante. Like you got to think that LaDante's had some sort of impact on this team this year, right? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. One thing I, I wish PC still did. So probably it probably ended around LaDante senior year. They used to do a, a media day just for the local media on campus at PC. And I remember LaDante's senior year, which I think was Ben Bentel. Yeah, it was Ben Bentel's freshman year. And Bentel and a lot of the guys were just praising LaDante up and down about what a leader he was and how tough he was and what a great player he was. And it was so apparent, even when LaDante was that young, how much the guys on that roster kind of looked up to him and appreciated him. And I kind of assumed that was going to carry over, especially now he's got more life experience, more basketball experience professionally. And uh, PC actually had a media session today and we had AJ Reeves on there. And I actually asked AJ about that. And it was so funny. A lot of what he was saying reminded me so much of what Ben Bentel said back then, you know, that Ladante's, you know, really helpful in practice because he's such a good player, but also that he's a big brother. And I really feel like too, you know, uh, they've got a really experienced staff, but they, you know, I think the youngest guy in the staff is probably, in his mid forties. I don't know how old Ivan Jackson is. And I think it is good to have a guy in his twenties who can relate to those guys 
in a different way too. Hundred hundred percent. I mean, he was Ed's first recruit. He hit probably the biggest shot in the Big East tournament. He had a great, you know, he he almost had a pro career in the NBA. You know, he's, I remember him being with the Agua Caliente Clippers, coolest name in, in probably professional basketball, um, and then having a great run overseas. So great to have him back. And you know, it seems like the culture within the team has been you know sky high. So, and and, and a big part of and a big part of that. Go go ahead, Kev. What were you gonna no, say? No, I was gonna say too. I think there's, I can't quite put my finger on it. I'd be interested to get your thoughts too. One thing about LaDante, too, is he seems to command respect. There's something about his personality. I don't know what it is. I can't pinpoint it right now, but there's something about him that people just seem to respect. I don't know if it's his toughness as a player, his openness as a person, or what it is, but there's something there that all the guys seem to really respect. I think it's that quiet confidence where he doesn't need to speak to be respected. I, I, I really feel like he's the type of guy who, when he walks into a room, you know what he's done you know, that he believes in this program, you know, to, to no end and that he doesn't need to talk to, you know, to be the center of attention or command respect. Yeah, that's fair. So in terms of another piece of the Friar culture this year, I mean, Kev, like Al Durham, like what, what to, what to say about Al Durham, right? Yeah, he's been awesome. It's funny. I watched him a lot and I was more, you know, I was trying to get a lot of kind of, get people revved up about this team this year and i watched a lot of german indiana i was like wow this guy is really better than i expected coming in and um and it's been a great situation for pc obviously but i think for al too you know he really i don't think he's been able to be this much of a focal point or he wasn't at indiana you know throughout his whole career and um you know i think what's really impressive about him is he's played kind of two you know really big roles like scorer but also distributor when when Bynum went out. And I think the thing that he really brings that I was concerned about this year is I was like, who's their bailout option? You know, when the clock's running down and the play is breaking down, who are they going to? Cause really last year we saw it, you know, they actually with Duke in the roster, they went to Bynum in those situations a couple of times. I remember the, the Villanova game they won at like the last second at home. That was Bynum, you know, and I like Bynum as a player. We'll talk about Bynum soon, but I don't really want Bynum being my bailout option. And I feel like, Germs really stepped into that role this year too. He had a big shot. Remember he had that top of the key three against Wisconsin late. He had some big shots against Texas tech late. So I feel like he's been that kind of bailout option. They really need it. Well, as you know, I could speak this whole podcast about Al Durham and what I like about him, but I'll keep it to a few different things, right? His natural feel for the game. The kid is a baller. Like he can feel the game, the way he dribbles the basketball, his presence, his IQ. I love, I love what he has to bring on a night night in night out basis now granted right i know there are going to be people listening to this and saying like well what about the yukon game like yes he made some mistakes in the yukon game i get that but there is no way that we're ranked and have the record that we do without alder bottom bottom line so and as i was telling you before before we started recording it's like we need to get more transfers from the big 10 they are just the perfect plug and play guys who've been there they've played on big Big stages, they've played in tough places to play, and I just feel like it's such a comparable league in which you know it, it's it's gritty. It's got that defensive mindset. Like if if you're not happy in the Big Ten, I'll gladly take you on the Providence Friars. And 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 honestly, like for the Big East, vice versa. I think they're like you know Big Ten Big East challenge. Like th- there is obviously synergy between the leagues. Like I just can't say enough. Like how a player like him is the key to success in college basketball right now of st- as Ed Cooley would say staying old 
like staying old by getting grad transfers, senior transfers, junior transfers, but guys who you could plug in and play immediately from comparable leagues. Yeah. I mean, and we're seeing it with, you know, Xavier too. They've got a big seven footer now is playing awesome for them. Um, He's probably one of the best players in the league this year. They got from Iowa. Um, And the thing with Al, you know, you kind of get back to what we talked about earlier when I was watching a lot of his games this summer, you're watching that Michigan, Michigan state, like all these crazy venues where the fans are nuts and he made some big plays late. And I remember before that UConn game, feeling good about like, well, they've got Durham and he's kind of been to these wars. He's not going to be phased because that, that crowd, that whole thing was built up as a UConn celebration, right? They're, it's their first game with fans back in the big East. And it was interesting being there. They kind of felt like it was going to be a big party for them that night. I remember thinking it's, it's nice to have a guy like Durham on your side who has not just played in front of those crowds, but has hit some big shots. I remember against Michigan state, I think it was his junior year. He hit a, a couple huge shots down the stretch. And he's a guy who you just feel good about because he's been through the battles. Like you said, he's been in the big 10. Like there's not really an environment that's going to face him in the big East, which is a huge, huge benefit. I am, I am quite positive when it comes to the Providence Friars. I think anybody who's ever listened to my podcast, listened to the pod series, that I'm a quite a positive person. When it comes to Jared Bynum, unfortunately, I didn't think when he transitioned over to the Friars and seeing him initially that he was going to be a good fit for the team. I, you know, just some things with the offensive skill set, lack of confidence in taking, you know, three pointers and, you know, can, not the best at getting to the hoop either. And it, you know, he's, a, he's a little bit smaller, like, I had my doubts and I'm one to admit when I'm wrong and I was wrong here and I was straight up wrong. Kev, you were hundred percent right. The one thing I always did like about Bynum though, is his dribbling ability. I think he has handle all day um, and can, and can get where he needs to be. And he could be a good facilitator, especially with Nate. He has good chemistry getting Nate the ball inside. Um, Kev, can you talk about like what he means to this team moving forward? Yeah. And just to be clear in Bynum, you know, to be fair, I wasn't 100% all in on Bynum, but I saw some value there. And I think we saw the worst of Bynum last year with that shooting slump. And I think it kind of just threw up his whole confidence. And, you know, my concern with Bynum was with his shooting, you know, at St. Jo- St. Joe's, he shot like 34% from three, right? Mm-hmm. But when you look at it more closely, he started that year like 15 for 30 from three. So he was shooting 50% for a good chunk of the beginning of the year. And then the rest of the year, I think he shot like 27% from three. Then last year, he was really bad from three. So I was like, oh, that's that's a bit of a trend. But I just liked – I thought he was a tougher defender than than people were giving him credit for, and you'd assume that his size. And we saw that against UConn. I, th- I thought he really turned that game around with a couple of steals and deflections. And I really think PC, they don't have a ton of guys who can really break you down off the dribble. So you kind of need guys to get into the paint. And the thing with Bynum now, he's not a great finisher on the paint, but he can draw guys. And with the way you've got Croswell and Watson kind of punishing people on the glass, you basically just have to get the ball in the rim. Like I remember there was a play against UConn late in that game. And Bill, I don't know if you remember, but mm-hmm. Durham kind of went through and put up like a right-handed like hook shot. And my friend was like, what the hell is that? And I was like, no, that's essentially like a pass. He knew he just had to get the ball in the rim because I think Croswell and Nate were in the game at the same time. And it was essentially Durham being like, I'm going to take my chances. You know, I have to put this ball up the rim. These two guys are probably going to get it. And that's where I think Bynum can be kind of effective. Just get into the paint and you basically put it on the glass. And that's been what they've done under Cooley. Like, I think Billy Raftery has talked about a lot. Like, just get the ball on the rim. These guys are going to go get it. So you essentially just need Bynum, even if he's not a great finisher, to like draw a couple defenders and let your guys go get it. So that's kind of where I liked him. And I, I really thought, I, I still think that PC needed another ball handler. Like, I'm not... 
the highest on Alan Breed. I know a lot of fans tend to like him a lot. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but I thought they needed another a secondary ball handler to Durham. And I think it helps free up Al Durham a little bit too. So um, I'm hopeful they turned the corner a little bit. And I thought we saw signs early in the year. He had a really good game against Northwestern. He had like eight points really early on in that game and kind of set the tone. So I, I, I like him more than most people. I could, I, but I could see why people didn't last year. You know, the, he over dribbled a lot. He shot the ball poorly. He, he's small. So your question, if he can defend. So I don't think the questions were unfair at all. Um, and I think in bill, let me know if you think this is part of it too, for you and other people, I think there was a lot of hype around him too. You know, like when they were playing poorly and the year before and Luan Pipkins wasn't getting it done, it was like, well, when they get Bynum here, he's a true point guard. He's what they need. So if that's the talk coming out of the program for like a year, then people are rightfully going to be like, well, what the hell? Like we were told this guy was this playmaker, a big improvement. He's actually been way worse than Pipkins was. So I think that worked against him a little bit too. hundred percent. Like I think we just assume in Ed Cooley teams that guys are just going to be, you know, 12 points a game, eight assists, you know, those type of Kyron Cartwright success stories automatically, like that's not easy. So a hundred percent, I think expectations were, you know, a huge part of it. And you know, I, I, I'm willing to give I'm willing to give him the reins because Ed Cooley teams are better when you have two ball handlers on the floor. I mean, we've seen that successful in the past, like, you know, whether it be like when Chris and Kyron were playing at the same time, um, there's many there, there were other examples as well of just like where he would play two point guards, even like Malik White. You know, he was more of a shooting guard, but he was he was of a point guard descent originally. Um I, I like when Ed Cooley has two ball handlers on the floor, so I'm excited to see him play a little bit more. But on the other end of the spectrum, as you mentioned, we've had two centers play at the same time this year, Nate Watson and Ed Croswell. What to say about Ed Croswell? I mean, I mean, I have a lot of positive things to say about Al Durham, but like, I don't think anybody has surprised me more in their readiness to step up to the moment and buy into a role like that then Ed Croswell, like, like this is like the most team first guy I think we've had in years. Like, what do you, what do you think Kev? Yeah. I mean, he's a guy, to be honest, I wasn't seeing the value at all. I was like, yeah, is he quick enough to play, you know, against, you know, he can, can he go out and guard the perimeter at all? Is he a guy who has no lift and is going to get kind of like stuffed at the rim? And even earlier this year, I think he kind of, it was hard for him against like, a Fairfield or St. Peter's who plays small. Like he's not going to look great trying to chase those guys down. So I was shocked. And I, I'm trying to think, Bill, I don't know if you can, a guy who seemed to completely flip the switch in like one game, you know, it was that Texas tech game and he's had a big impact. I think in every game since it's been wild. And I, I really off the top of my head, I can't think of a guy who like, it just seemed to click in one game and then just never looked back at all. Maybe Khalif Young in the Texas game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Khalif was solid. I mean, but I mean, yeah. going from like no production at all for like a year right. and a half to like, oh, good, Croswell's in. Like, you know, and not you're all Big East centers leaving the game. And you're you're feeling, for me, just as good. You know, I'm like, all right, Croswell can hold it down. 100%. And, and this brings me to a question that we didn't even talk about beforehand. Like, this is like completely unscripted here. It's like playing both Nate and Ed at the same time, like, does that have substance? Are we going to see more of that? I think you always have to just because it's interesting because Cooley's talked about essentially what a good teammate Croswell's been. Cause he's like, you know, he knows he's playing well enough to play more than, cause he's probably still playing 
and I might be wrong, but he's probably playing no more than like 18 minutes in these games, maybe 20. I, I doubt it's even 20. And Cooley was basically praising him, I think, after – I forget which game it was after. But he essentially was saying that Croswell has been the most unselfish player he's essentially had because he's playing – you know, he's been so productive in really short minutes. So I think it, just in an effort to get Croswell more minutes, you almost have to play them together. And I'm trying to think – I can't remember them being totally exposed when those guys are playing together. And I, and I don't – I don't think Croswell's any worse a defender than Borkler is, you know, so I don't think you're going to get a huge drop off defensively. So I think we'll see him together probably short spurts, but um, I think you have to just to try and get him close, closer to 20 minutes. hundred percent. I mean, when Whaley was out there for UConn, that was like, you know, they had two bigs in at one time, like that, that seemed like the, the right move at the time. I, I think it just obviously depends on the matchup. Yeah. When I think about, this Friar success. I'm really surprised to say that it hasn't all come from Nate Watson being the guy considering, you know, first team, all big East, you know, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar watch, like, you know, Nate came back with the purpose here. He wanted to a play in front of fans, which was awesome. He wanted to lead the team and scoring rebounding, like every category he could like, you know, cause he's a heck of a player and he wants to win. The good news is, is we're doing a lot of winning. The, the interesting thing is in five of his past seven games, he hasn't been in double figure scoring. And there's been a good amount of games as well, where Noah Horkler has stepped up and been our top rebounder. Like I said, this team is balanced. We're providing, you know, different opportunities on any given night for somebody to lead the stat sheet in, in points, rebounds, assists, etc. So from your perspective, Kev, what do you think about Nate and his production and, and our success as we've gone through the season? Yeah, so Dan Hurley said after PC beat him, he was kind of drawing a parallel to Sunogo being out, and he had said that essentially the way he looks at it is Nate Watson just opens up so much, and he said specifically for Reeves and Bynum because they both played really well. And I think to Nate's credit, I think he's been really unselfish. You know, I, I think he's been passing out double teams better this year. I'm sure it's been frustrating to have all these bodies thrown at him. He he had mentioned that that he's never been double teamed like this in his life. He came out and said it's been frustrating, but you don't really see it on the court. And, you know, if his numbers or scoring numbers are down, I think it's just because he's seeing so many bodies. But it'll be interesting to see if teams are essentially going to continue to double cover him if A.J. Reeves is shooting this well. And, you know, Al Durham's been great, but he hasn't shot as well from three as he can. So if PC can keep punishing teams from outside or – if this frees up lanes for a Bynum or a Durham to drive, if he's going to continue to see this much traffic. Nate is definitely passing and he's passing better. Like, you know, when, when Nate would get the ball freshman year, like he, he wanted to put it in the basket every time <laughs> that was going up. It was, it was going up and to his credit, a lot of them went in. So I don't blame him, uh, but he's definitely passing better. He's been clearly the leader for this team. We're so glad to have him back. You know, him and his family love Providence College. Like, it just seems like it's just been a really good match between the two parties. And, you know, excited to see him continue to win with this team and, you know, have his legacy cemented in Friartown the way he wanted to. So, but, you know, we wouldn't, we'd be remiss to not bring up another guy who stuck around for four years now. It feels longer than that almost, too. AJ Reeves is the type of guy as a Friar fan that you just, beg that they come they, and they, and they stay home. Like 
we obviously the the Roxbury connection, Brimmer and May, and and I gotta give him so much credit, like like for hanging in there and and almost not reinventing himself this season, but providing that spark and that energy that we needed and and, and timely moments and and putting up points. Like I know I know you got some stats on him, like that 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 just tell the story. Yeah, I mean he's been. I wrote about this after the UConn game that. He got a lot of flack after they played in Newark and he was sick. You know, he barely played against Virginia. I think he played like 12 minutes and took like two or three shots and missed them both. But um, that game kind of messed up his stats a little bit for the year. But essentially, since that Virginia game, he's averaging 15 points a game. He's shooting 43% from three and he's taking a lot of them. You know, I think he's hitting like three and a half threes a game during that stretch. So it's not like he's hitting one or two and the percentage is good. Um, and it's been interesting because I felt like last year, last year as far as kind of felt like the Celtics with Tatum and Brown, where it's almost like they're taking turns. Like it was almost like it was Duke's turn. It was Watson's turn. And then, you know, you'd be eight minutes into the game and AJ hasn't taken a shot. And then he'd force up kind of a bad looking three. And it's like, well, you can kind of see why he was doing it at times because he's just trying to find his way in this offense a little bit. And it seems like now he just feels like more a part of things and his confidence has taken off, which has been great. Um, and we've seen him do more, you know, more assists, more boards at times. So um, I'm just happy for him because I know he had, I've been watching AJ. We talked about this when I came on in your pod the first time I've been watching him since his freshman year at Brimmer, you know, so you naturally pull for those guys kind of harder, especially with his personality. I got to interview him and know his coach a little bit. Um, you know, so I, I'm I fully admit to having a vested interest in AJ doing well beyond just doing well for the Friars. I want him to do well because I like him as a person. But um, it's just been really good to see. And it's been huge for PC. I mean, those four threes against UConn when no one could score, you know, four threes and a half in a game like that that's played in the 50s is huge. That's like hitting six or seven threes in, in another game. So, um, you know, j- like I said, I'm kind of rambling on at this point, but just really happy for him. And I, I hope he keeps it up. I Again, I hope he can attack a little bit more too. I think there are still times where AJ will draw a defender instead of like punk bacon going to the rim. He'll like do the, like those difficult sidestep threes, which are kind of a challenge. I'd love to see him kind of take that out of his game a little bit and get more aggressive going to the rim. But otherwise you got to be happy for the guy. hundred percent. I think in our system, he sort of fit the mold of like a Jalen Lindsay or like a Malik white when we turned him into like the shooter. And it's like, he doesn't have to take threes every time. And you could just see it that like, that's like what the goal is, but definitely have seen more passing. Definitely have seen some, some drives, um, you know, that have connected. I, I remember one I forgot which game it was. It might've been Vermont when he came down the middle and just hammered one. And I was like, okay, like I see, I see you. Uh, well, you know, that that's, that that's the play that we want right there. His, he's also been, he's been doing a really good job getting the ball to Nate this year. That was the one thing last year their entry passes were so bad last year across the board. And AJ was part of that. And he's been doing a really good job of feeding Nate this year. And a lot of his assists are just coming on getting Nate pretty good looks, but I feel like that's been a really kind of understated part of his game that he's got a lot better at. Mm -hmm. So now let's give the fans exactly what they want. And the fans want to know what's Alan Breed's role going to be on this Friar team moving forward, because Alan Breed's become a fan favorite in a lot of ways. I still think of him as the same way of last year, that he's a heady player who makes good plays and good times. And I don't know what his production level is outside of that. I, I really just do enjoy when he comes in and he makes like a nice shot 
or, you know, he, he, he kind of like seems like he's in the play in his own kind of, you know, chill laid back mannerism. Um, but what do you think? What do you think, Kev? What do you think Alan Breed's role is going to be moving forward? Yeah, I, I think he's going to play, you know, I, he had an awful streak. And it's funny. Breed's one of those guys who the fans tend to not get on. I'm not sure if we go back to the expectations of a Bynum or even AJ, like we just talked about, I feel like when some guys go through shooting slumps, they get buried. And at one point, Breed was like one for 21. It was awful. And I was like, no one, I'm not going to, you know, tweet about it, but it was amazing that no one's really calling it out or really noticing that he was in this awful slump. Um, but I, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think he's got a pretty solid spot in the roster. Cause I think, you know, he, he can defend both guard positions. He's the kind of guy too. With all these options, you do kind of need a guy who's like low maintenance. Like he's not getting a ton of shots. And that's the thing. Like, it's not really fair to say, oh, he's one for 21 because when you're like 0 for 3 one game and 1 for 4 the next, it's going to build up. But it's hard to shoot a great percentage for getting two or three shots a game. But on a team like this, you do kind of need a guy who's, you know, doesn't necessarily need a lot of shots or at least publicly doesn't seem like he's upset about his role. And he's willing to kind of get out there and defend and hopefully not – he had a kind of a boneheaded turnover against UConn with that behind-the-back pass. But – Probably not turn the ball over a little bit, just kind of be like a low maintenance defender, kind of a jack of all trades kind of guy. So, I think that's his role. Um, I thought, I thought for a while there, you could probably tell from what I've written that I thought Bryson Gadim was going to pass him um, in the rotation. When Bryson played really well out in Newark, I was like, oh, it's coming, because I had seen Bryson at his best, and you started to see a little bit of it against Northwestern. But it just seems that the staff trusts breed a lot more i'm not i'm not sure about what you think about the two of them kind of that comparison but i think if breed's going to lose minutes it'll be a little bit to bynum but more so to to bryson i think personally that bynum and gadeen are a good fit and durham and breed are a good fit so it's kind of like whatever balance of the rotation we could we could make work within that um i think if you need a bucket gadeen's a great option you know, be, he can shoot the three and I think he has an athletic ability to get to the rim. We just haven't seen it. Um, in terms, in terms of breed, I just see him as that guy, you know, if we're going, you know, through the big East, other opportunities, you know, past the big East, stuff like that. I just see him coming in and making a play. Like, like that's the way I envision him as a part of this team. And I think that's a good thing. And like you said, I think you hit it on the head, low maintenance in that regard, not asking for shot attempts, like trying to do what's best, um, you know, for the team when he comes in. And I think he has that ability to do so. I think Adin re- re- probably requires a little bit more shot attempts to get him going. Um, but no, I think that each one kind of fits in, in different scenarios with different lineups. I also think Breed, Breed doesn't seem phased either. Like if he's playing poorly or missing some shots, he seems like he has the same outward demeanor at all times. Whereas Bryson, you can see after that, Nice stretch he had in Newark. He was kind of forcing a shot a little bit and still trying to figure out where his offense is going to come from. Whereas Breed, and maybe it comes from playing, like he played alongside two guys in his high school team, not even a prep team, was regular high school team in Georgia who were NBA players. So maybe he's kind of used to kind of playing a secondary role and he's comfortable in that role. So I'd imagine that's kind of the differentiator between him and Gadeen right now is that that he's a little, he's a little more comfortable in his role right now than Bryson seems to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think a breed is an X factor, but in terms of the ultimate X factor for this Friar team, it's Noah Horkler. And I'm going to tell you why. It's not Noah Horkler in the sense of like 
it's Noah, Noah Horkler on both sides of the ball. I think it's just, it's simply this. If Noah Horkler is effective on offense, if he is efficient with his shot attempts and he is contributing inside out field goals, I think it makes us a completely different team. I, th- I think that is literally the dividing line between being a good team and a great team because he's a very unique type of player that not every college basketball team has a, a, a big man with significant size who is rebounding, who can also step out and, and score like, like consistently. So I think when that's on, we're great. I think when that's off, we're, we're good. Like, like we're, we're, we're very good. We're, we've been very good, but I think when he's on, we're great. What do you think, Kev? Yeah. And he's been clutch too. We had, um, the big shot, two shots against Northwestern late that kind of sealed the game. Then against URI, when you were, I was creeping back a little bit, he had those two big threes. And the one thing I've pretty consistently written about Noah is that his role really changed at North Florida. Like he, I don't know the numbers in front of me, but he took so many post-up opportunities. Like I, it was over a hundred. It was crazy. And last year he took like eight shots out of the post, you know, and he was strictly a stretch guy. But I think he's perfect offensively alongside Nate. Like we talked about Croswell and Nate together, but it's going to be hard to collapse on Nate when you've got Durham Reeves and Horkler out there together. You know, I think teams are going to take their chances on those guys missing threes. Um, but Noah's kind of, it's not just that he's versatile, but he's kind of perfect besides Nate too. I think at least. Yeah. I, I just really think that in recent years, we haven't had that same inside out presence almost that like comes from the four spot. Like, I feel like Alpha Diallo was the last example of that, but it's like as like Ladante and Alpha matured in their careers as Friars, it was kind of like they knew at the next level they'd be like more in a two or three position. So it, you know, no, Noah's a four. Like, like, like he, he, he is very much a four. And, and I like having that presence. Like, like that is awesome. Like that we can kind of count on that on, on any given night basis. He's kind of like a less physical Rodney Bullock. Like I hadn't thought of this until you just mentioned, like, going back mentally, who's been similar. But that's kind of the role Rodney played. I think Rodney could get a little bit more inside in the offensive glass. But uh, similar kind of role. You know, I, I hadn't really thought of that until you just said that. But I'm like, it, it is kind of a similar role for PC. So keeping it on the offense, a lot of people in the Friar community don't appreciate the flex offense. Ooh, it's, you know, it's, it's an old style of high school basketball, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, Obviously, Ed picked it up from his time at Boston College under the great Al Skinner. It's just when you watch the Friars this year, you probably notice that, like, there hasn't been a ton of flex here. Like, maybe a screen once in a while to get Nate Nate going, maybe to get Noah from, you know, the, an elbow jumper, maybe even to create some inside-out action. But we haven't really seen a lot, have we, Kev? No, no. And it's funny. I don't hate the flex as much as a lot of fans seem to. I think... Like a lot of really good coaches, like Brad Stevens used to run some of it. You know, the Utah Jazz did a ton of it with the NBA level. You know, it's not like, I don't know. I think people are so used to thinking of the flexes like when PC's got like four guys within 17 feet of the basket, but we haven't seen it much at all. Like, I, I know there's been instances of it, but we haven't really gotten to it that much. And even it was interesting, but we were talking about this offline before. I remember. Kyron Cartwright kind of tweeted out like that hasn't been our main offense in forever. And I think a lot's made of it because every time PC does go to it, the announcers like, Oh, here comes that Ed Cooley flex. It's what he's known for Al Skinner. It's like the same kind of talking points over and over again. 
But um, especially this year, I feel like they really haven't gotten to it much at all. So, yeah, good point by you. I, I, haven't, I don't remember seeing it. We've seen it, but I don't remember seeing it a lot. Guys seem more comfortable this year in terms of setting their feet, in terms of getting good three-pointers off, in terms of inside-out action. Really, other than, like, I think about the Texas Tech game where they were just like, we're stopping Nate Watson no matter what. Like, they literally circled Nate's picture in the locker room, and they're like, we're stopping that guy. Like, that guy's the guy. <laughs> so, you know, other than that game where they was just like, or U- UConn was tough at times in terms of getting the ball inside, but we've had good inside-out action. We've had good three-pointers, you know, a lot less waiting till the end of the clock, you know, getting off-balance shots that we had, I think, last year. I, I think it really shows what we're able to do when we run an offense that's, you know, geared towards the, you know, the personnel that we have and the guys physically, you know, coming into the game and stepping up when they need to like these, it's been incredible this season, like how many timely baskets we've had from guys coming off the bench completely cold. Yeah. And Bill, to your point too, it's interesting as much as it feels like Nate's not getting a ton of touches. I think PC is still like 15th in the country at, shots out of the post like they're still getting a ton of shots out of the post i think just more recently like you said like a texas tech all these teams are like nope it's not gonna be nate let it be somebody else but they're still going to the post a ton like they're out of high majors i think only like gonzaga uh purdue obviously is those big guys there aren't a ton of high majors that have gone to the post more than pc so as much as it feels like they haven't been getting those chances much recently like strict post-up opportunities they're still they're 15th in the country, but high majors, I bet they're like in the top five. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, in the offense, like by the numbers have been way better. You know, you look at like, you know, it's a little early for Ken Palm numbers, but all their numbers offensively are definitely up. Um, so that's been encouraging, too. I'd written something earlier in the year about how, you know, it's really hard to get to the second weekend with an offense that I think last year they were teetering on like maybe outside of the top or right around a hundred the last couple of years, they've just had a rough offense and it's really hard to make the second weekend unless you can put up some points. Um, obviously it kind of goes without saying, but I think people don't realize just how hard it is. If you don't have like a top 50th top 75 ish offense, like it's really rare to get there. So uh, that's been a really nice development for them this year, how they've kind of seemed to get better offensively this year. So switching from the offensive side of the ball, to the defensive side of the ball. There's been something special in this team this year in terms of their buy-in. It seems like when they're on the defensive end that they're playing for each other. We haven't talked about Justin Benaya. I think this is kind of where a guy like Justin Benaya, like he's moving his feet. He's staying in front of people. He re- he out-rebounds well above his size. Like these are things that just like, this is a cornerstone of an Ed Cooley team, like of just defensive presence and awareness. Like, what have you seen from this year, this year's team that's been different defensively than last year, maybe in in years previous where it just hasn't come together? Yeah, I think part of it, they're just on the same page more. Like they're all their stats last year, like guarding pick and rolls and cutters and all these things that involve communication. The numbers were way worse than the coolest teams normally are. So that's a big one. And you look at, I think they've done a really good job kind of mixing in his own this year. Um, not going to it all the time. I don't mind they haven't because I like it being a different look. But against UConn, like I looked back after that game and they played zone on 11 possessions against UConn. UConn had one field goal. So they only scored once out of 11 possessions against their zone. And, and Minaya has been statistically their best defender, maybe. I think he's 
opponents are shooting like 25% against him. And the thing that he does too, is not just stopping his man. Like I looked at that UConn game and I was like, all right, they've got Tyrese Martin and Andre Jackson, both rebound like crazy from the wings. And those are the kind of guys who historically could have caused PC some problems. And actually historically the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, and last year probably would have eaten up a Greg Gann or Jimmy Nichols, but Manai is tough. You know, he's going to give those guys at least a fight. And I know Andre Jackson had a lot of rebounds, but I think that's the one thing with Manaya too, is he'll get in there and rebound and kind of similar to, um, to Alan Breed. He's low maintenance and offense too. Like he's a guy who, you know, he's essentially a postgraduate at this point, And you think he wants to, you know, get, you know, some good highlights on, on tape for if he wants to go professional in a year or two, but you know, he's kind of like the rest of the team. He's kind of just accepted his role and gone with it. And I think it helps when you start 11 and one and people are saying, okay, we're, we're winning. Um, you know, if they were, you know, if they lost four games by now, maybe it wouldn't be so easy, but um, I just think he's at a lot, you know, he, he just does a lot kind of quietly. Um, and I think PC fans really like the guy. I, I get the sense that they're kind of all in on him, um, which is really nice to see too. I think he's really been appreciated so far. Certainly has been, has a great demeanor when he gets out on the court. Um, you know, he was actually at the press conference we went to, you know, he, he said that he's fitting in just fine and things, things are going well. So great to hear. And you mentioned the UConn game. Would love to just step in that for a minute and just kind of bring it back. Like that was supposed to be the UConn coming out party. Like we were talking about, you know, Hartford, you know, the Excel center, this is their big game. This is their house, Dan Hurley, the, you know, the quote unquote, Dan Hurley, coach Cooley rivalry, which apparently they're cool. And like, it's really not anything. <laughs> so, um, you know, stuff that the fans kind of, kind of rile up. But I mean, when I look at that game, I, I just, I think about the pace that we started at, it was kind of frantic. Uh, you know, it, it really wasn't that like we were in that much control to start, but we calmed down and we just had different runs from different players that led us to success where they just took over at different times, whether it was, you know, the Croswell, whether it was Nate, whether it was AJ, like they just stepped up in these timely manners in which you just truly can't coach that that's in the moment. That's just stuff. That's like, this is what this team is made of. And, you know, that's a game that we drop that, that that's, that's a game that's, that's really tough to win on the road. Yeah, and, and they played through some mistakes late, too. And I, I think one point we're kind of circling around a little bit or even talked to is that the really encouraging thing with this team and beyond encouraging, really fun thing with this team is that it really does seem to be someone new every night. Like in this this game, Bynum hadn't played in weeks, and he came back. And I thought, coolly said after the game, he thought that Croswell was the player of the game. I thought Bynum was. I thought he really, like I said earlier, turned the game around defensively. He got to the rim a couple of times that, he hit that huge three, you know, you kind of cut the lead to six and the, there's still eight minutes to go and it's rocking. You're thinking, all right, this is, you know, here it comes. And that three was huge. And I think that's been the really nice thing this year, but stepping back a little bit, Bill, I want to get your thoughts too on this is everything over the last two years has almost felt like this UConn coronation from like Adam Zagora and John Rothstein. And it's been all about like UConn's back to elevate the level of play in the big East and, there's been a feeling at least it, maybe it's my own, you know, bias, but I, I felt like there's a feeling on UConn, especially with the way they're recruiting is that it's been like, okay, Providence, Seton Hall, thanks for keeping the seat warm, but we're back now. We're, we're here to take over again. And maybe that's my imagination, but that's the way it felt. And that's why it was really nice to have a game where 
the first time they were back in front of fans, PC was like, no, not so fast. You know, this isn't what it was eight years ago. 100%. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, as, as a lifelong Friar fan, if there was a New England recruit and UConn was coming in, that wasn't Ryan Gomes, of course. It's kind of like game over. It's kind of like, like that, that was it. And, and I think that they feel like that's the way it is again. And it's not, it, it's, 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 it's really not like, you know, our, our practice facility, our coach has been with us for such a long time and has done so well. And he's from the city. We've had NBA players. We've had biggies championship. We've had tournament success. Like, We've had all those things. We've been building this this whole time, and they were in the American Athletic Conference. Like, it, you just can't come back in and just you know be be top dog. And 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 they probably know that Villanova, of course, is top dog. But they kind of probably they probably view themselves right under them. And and it's going to take time to get there. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's unfair for UConn to feel that way, but it, it's felt like it's been this tidal wave, especially up until this season. Like UConn's recruiting has been unbelievable the last couple of years, and. Their class coming next year is ridiculous. So it's it's definitely coming, but I felt like this was a bit of a statement by PC. As much as you can make it a statement in one game that not only do they go to UConn in their house and take the win, but it was in a game that was really important to UConn. You know, they were hyping this thing up big time on their social media. This was their return to the Big East in front of fans. Like, they were making it a moment, you know, and it's not like PC beat them in mid-February when it was just a lull in the season. Like this was an event for them. So for PC to kind of stick it to them there, especially when UConn totally justifiably has a ton of momentum going right now. You know, I, I thought it was a nice statement for PC to kind of be like, okay, we're, we're still here right now. And to be honest, I think our fans needed that too. You know, as much as they played really well, UConn is a measuring stick and understandably they should be with their four championships in the last, you know, 20 plus years. Um, but to me, that's why it was a really good win. I think it was a bit of a statement that PC is not just going to roll over here. I just love that they referenced that between stores, Connecticut and Providence, Rhode Island, there's no highway. But like, like, like to me, that was the, that was the best because it's so weird, like that there's no highway, but, but it's just kind of, there was supposed to be one there. Like I have historical knowledge from an uncle of mine from Providence that there was supposed to be a highway in between the two. It just never got built. It was supposed to be like route six was supposed to be a generalized highway, kind of like, you know, like a 95 almost, but it just never happened. So I think it's just so cool that like, and, and, and they make it, you know, we both teams make the rivalry what it is. Like, like, like I love that. Like, you know, when they're doing well and we're doing well, that's the best. Like when we did the Oh four team and we were talking about like those UConn teams and PC not being afraid of them and coming in and winning, like, that that's what college basketball is all about. Yeah, and to Bill, to your point, actually, I think that's for a lot of years, and we talked about this in, on that pod. Like, even though PC played well against UConn, like you, those felt like those wins. Not not the Gomes of four year. They they felt like they were that was a really good team. But the years they knocked him off in like oh seven oh eight. It was like we were some. It felt like we were like flukishly good against UConn. It, it didn't make any sense, right? Whereas this felt like, like, no, they're going to whack us and we're going to hit them back a little bit. And that was the biggest difference. It didn't feel like, like, I've never loved the, oh, PC's, you know, whatever, eight and seven against UConn last 15. Because, like, yeah, but realistically, they're going to Final Fours and winning national championships and we weren't making the tournament. Whereas this kind of felt like, 
we're battling for more than just winning that one game against them. Like, no, we're going to be in this league. We're going to fight you this year. And like I said, I just thought it was a big time statement. And, and to be there in the building, um, you know, I, I really thought PC's defense, you could hear the crowd. Like I went back and watched it on TV. It didn't feel that loud when you were there. But on the highlights, I was like, holy crap, this place is loud. It, did, it really didn't feel like it because for long stretches, the crowd couldn't get into it. And we've seen it at times, you know, at the dunk where, even like the URI game, there was like a long lull with the crowd because like PC goes, they scoring droughts and it's hard to go crazy as a crowd when you can't score. And I really felt like PC just with their defense and then with Nate going in that stretch early in the second half really took their crowd out of it. And, and that was huge. And then when they got, when the crowd came back into it, PC didn't made enough plays late to win the game, which was really was just a fun, fun, fun night. Donnie Marshall said it best. And he's a Yukon guy. He's like, Yukon Providence. It doesn't get better than this. And then he like he like cut to the cut to the commercial break. So that it was just good energy, good, good game. We'll look forward to seeing them again on our turf this time. But and, um and Bill, I gotta say, I love that both of these games are on Saturdays. I hope that going forward they keep this going because it's so fun for fans of both to be able to go back and forth. And I know the Yukon fans drive PC fans nuts and they come to the dunk and they start their, you know. UConn, UConn, UConn chant. But to me, I think it it just adds so much. Like the atmosphere of those games are great. If they could keep those on Saturdays, that would be awesome. 100%. So let's bring it Let's bring it home here. We got Seton Hall coming up tomorrow night. Long layoff for us, but even longer layoff for the Hall. Like they haven't played in a long time. And they're good. But I don't think we really like, because they haven't played in so long. It's like, who are they going to be um, yeah. when, when they come to the dunk tomorrow night? What's the outlook of this team going into the first couple games of the Big East, specifically this upcoming game against Seton Hall? Yeah, Seton Hall is real. I mean, obviously they beat Texas, who's a national championship contender. They beat Michigan when Michigan was ranked fourth. Their only losses to Ohio State, who I don't know where they landed today, but they were ranked 14th over the weekend. And that was a last second three. So Seton Hall is really good. And they have a lot of answers. They've got Jared Roden, who's their wing, who's their star. He's like a 17 and seven guy. And they've got – they added three transfers that have really helped. This kid, Jameer Harris, who's a good 20-point-per-game scorer. He hit like nine threes in a game last year in American. Um, they added Kadari Richmond, Kadari Richmond, uh, point guard from Syracuse. And they added a big guy from South Florida, Alexis Yetna, who's really good too. He's like a double-double guy. Um, so they're really not playing anyone other than Roden probably 30 minutes a game. But I think the big thing for them is they their point guard plays way better. So Kadari Richmond was a guy that when he left Syracuse, he's a Brewster guy and was kind of under the radar. But Jim Beheim praised him up and down his freshman year. He was basically saying he might be the best freshman point guard they've had in forever. And that was a blow when he left Syracuse because defensively he was he's big. He's like 6'4", 6'5". And then Bryce Aiken was a Harvard transfer. who was really expected to kind of take over for Miles Powell. Uh, last year but was injured and he's been the kind of their big shot maker late in game so they have a lot of answers um they can defend it's kind of funny they lost mamu last year so you're kind of thinking like all right how are they gonna make up for that but i, I think they might be better this year um but a 17 day layoff for them 11 days for pc and bill i don't know about you i i feel like is it feels like a that uconn game feels like it was a month ago they had so much momentum going between we haven't mentioned they're ranked in the AP for the first time in what, like five years, PC. So it just feels like it's going to be, it's a, kind of a nice game to be at home because you, you hope that you can get a little bit of lift from your crowd. But I think both teams, PC, it's going to be 11, 12 days off Seton Hall, 17, like you said. Um, 
so I don't know what to expect, to be honest. So, so we'll see. But this is one of the teams, too. I feel like Seton Hall is big. You know, they can kind of match up with PC on the inside. So it'll be interesting. What, what are you thinking for this one? When it comes to Providence Seton Hall games, I just think of battles because it's like we are just so similar in the fact that like in the old Big East, we were the teams that just got beaten up on. And now in the new Big East, like, you know, we're teams that have transcended into different positions consistently being in the top five in the Big East. We have coaches that are good friends that have both been at the program for a long time. It, it, it's it's just like, whereas like UConn thinks like they're here. It's like Seton Hall and Providence. Like we, we, we know that we're on level ground and it's going to be a fight Yeah, in our, yeah. in our place. I'll give it to us and their place. It's a little bit tougher, you know, in, in, in the good old rock. Like I, like you said, you said it perfectly. It's, it's so much better that it's at home. I'll give it to us on two fronts. It's at home and it's less, we had less of a layoff than they did. And we've had, thankfully, you know, hopefully, hopefully less COVID issues so far. So I, 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 I do like us in this opportunity. I understand that they're big. Um, I just think the key will be Noah Horkler and AJ Reeves offensively. That that's what I think. So, Bill. So, by the time this gets published tomorrow, we may know more. But I think the thing too, which sucks to talk about this, is just what you mentioned. Like, who's actually going to be healthy and playing? So, Seton Hall. I think they left this afternoon, so they're coming to Providence ready to play. But Kevin Willard said they're going to be down a couple of guys. He didn't say who. So. Yeah, I think they missed like their last. They were supposed to play Patino um, and Iona. They missed, I think, St. John's and DePaul. So they they missed three games. And we don't know. Ed Cooley said today on his media um, availability that PCs get some guys in the protocol. He didn't say that they're necessarily out for tomorrow. I kind of assumed if they're out, if they're in the protocol today, they're out tomorrow. But that's going to be a big factor. And to be honest, that's kind of a not kind of, it's a huge bummer. Like it sucks to go back to where we were last year. Like, are they going to play? Who's going to be available? Especially when for programs like PC and Seton Hall, like have so much more momentum going into this. It, it just, it's so disappointing that that's a consideration when you really thought that, you know, after last season, everyone can get vaccinated. We'd be back and we wouldn't have to worry about it. Like we had to in the past. And to be back at that point for me is just hugely disappointing you know and we'll see how it plays out but it sucks to be like yeah they're supposed to play wednesday or when i write an article like you know they're scheduled to play seton hall like that's it's just such a bummer yeah no i th- i think going forward it's just going to be all a, a battle of who can stay healthy and uh a, you know a, a, a battle of who can keep together and what's going to be a very competitive big east like the other leagues are talking about us. They know they know that we're good, and 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 they know that this league's for real. Like obviously, you know, in the new Big East, we've had some years where you know only two or three teams get in. Like you know, this is a year where we're deep, and and, and I'm excited for it, and I'm excited to see what the Friars bring through big through Big East play and what is going to be you know a challenging night every every night, whether at home or on the road. So, Kev, and any final thoughts to bring us home here? It's, you know, it's been a great episode recapping everything and. You know, we're just excited to see what these guys can continue to give us in Big East play. Yeah, a lot to cover, obviously, but it was, it was fun, Bill. I'm glad we did this. Um, I always appreciate having me on, so I, I really enjoy it. Looking forward to seeing what PC does tomorrow, and hopefully they're out there and they're healthy and they're playing. So we'll, we'll see what happens from there. Love it, Kev. Always love having you on. Go Friars.
We'd like to thank everyone for listening to episode 17 of the Friar Podcast. And a special thank you to our guest, the great Kevin Farhar of FriarBasketball.com. As always, you can find us on social media via Twitter at the Friar Podcast and Instagram at the Friar Podcast as well. We look forward to next episode. And as always, go Friars. <laughs>